Guardadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. My name is Blue, and I am a dad without borders. Hello and welcome back to Dad Without Borders. I took the week off last week. Um, We're getting ready for our baby boy due on May the 11th. So he is now full term, as they say. Uh, But technically the due date is May the 11th. So it could be any day. And we've been pretty distracted with just getting everything ready um, in terms of bags that we need packed for the hospital, the plan that we need in place, um, for our three-year-old. Um, those that listen regularly will know that I have an eight-and-a-half-year-old who is in the UK. Um, so I also have to juggle trying to connect with him on a regular basis during the week um, and kind of get him ready for it too. Um, it's not easy for him being so far away, so I'm always working to kind of keep him engaged in what we're doing. And yeah, so we've been super focused on just getting ready. Um, I'm feeling a little bit anxious for sure. Um, mum seems to be taking it in her stride, um, but certainly is very much done with the pregnancy. Um, it's hard work. It's hard work getting out off, you know, getting, even getting outside for a walk, you know, it's walking up and down the stairs, um, getting on and off the couch, um, you know, sleep is not as easy sometimes because it's uncomfortable. Um, so she's ready to introduce the baby into the world, um, as am I as well, but I'm definitely a little anxious about, and I'm sure she is as well on, you know, a deeper level, um, as calm as she is, uh, about the birth. Um, you know, as the support person, it can be really hard because you don't always know quite what to do, even though this is my third boy, uh, third baby, um, third birth. Yeah, you just never quite know how things are going to go. And so, of course, you know, I want to be able to support her in all the ways that she needs. Um, and hopefully I can do that. Um, so we're just trying to keep really calm, stay as close to home as possible. Uh, because the hospital is an hour from our house, which means that, you know, we could get caught um, off guard if we are on a you know trip into town or something like that. So we are trying to be yeah, trying to keep it as close to home as we can so we can be prepared. Um, And we have a three-year-old. So, of course, you know, the planning around that takes a little bit of effort as well. So I have a schedule pinned up on the kitchen board um, with what his needs are throughout the day so that whoever's looking after him, hopefully it will be uh, my wife's sister who lives down the road. Um, So, yeah, it's been a busy time. Or it's feeling like it's it's a busy time. It will be busy soon with a new baby. Um, so that's what's going on. One thing I wanted to share, actually, um, because this is not something that many people maybe know about. Um, and it's just an idea that you may or may not. If you're going to potentially have another baby or you have a pregnant partner, um, 
the idea of a pushing present. Um, so this is basically acknowledgement, a present to acknowledge, um, you know, the work that the mum has put in through the pregnancy um, and, all, of course, through childbirth. Um, and it's a present that you can give before or after. But I decided to give a pushing present and it's the first time I've done this and I'm glad I did um, because she was so excited and so caught um, off guard. So full surprise. And I bought her a an inflatable stand-up paddleboard. Um, and we don't, yeah, we don't have one, but we live on a lake and we have a river as well um, here in town. So it's perfect. And she's always wanted one. So she had no idea I was going to do it. Um, we had talked about it a few months ago. Um, but yeah, she thought she was opening um, a package with a co-sleeper that we've ordered. She thought she was opening, um, yeah, opening up a, a co-sleeper co and turns out it was a paddleboard. So yeah, I really caught her off guard. And I did think about it, but I thought, you know, do I give her the present after, you know, the birth? But actually now she has something to really look forward to because um, it's going to be May soon. The weather's warming up. Perfect weather for a stand-up stand paddleboard. And it's right here in town. So, you know, when the baby is sleeping, once everything's settled and she's feeling, you know, like physically, uh, you know, bearing in mind, hopefully the birth goes well. Um, there's going to be a recovery period, I'm sure. But hopefully, sooner than later, she can be on a stand-up paddleboard, you know, for for as long as she can be away from the baby at that point because there's obviously the breastfeeding. But yeah, it's just I thought that was a nice thing for her to look forward to. So that's something that I just did. So I thought I wanted to share that, um, the idea of a pushing present. Um, and the other thing I wanted to share, well, actually... That's, I'll, t I'll share this with you. My little three-year-old for the first time cut his cut himself. Um, and warning to anyone who lets their toddler play with a tape measure. Um, and this is a really small tape measure, kind of like a toy. Uh, but he, it was sharp on the edges, so he managed to slice his thumb. Um, not too bad, but enough that there was blood. And of course, he was just breaking down. Uh, poor little lad has never seen blood before. Um, so it really freaked him out. So anyway, that was the thing this morning. So tape measures, beware. You can't protect them from everything. Um, and now he knows that tools are dangerous, even tape measure. So hopefully that's a lesson uh, that will be useful for me moving forward with him. I mean, like, you know, if I got the toolbox out and I'm doing things, it's going to be really easy for, for me to say, stay away from the toolbox. You know what happened last time. Um, so that just happened. And then the other thing I was going to share too my podcast is very much about the positive experience of being a long distance dad, how that my eight and a half year old, even though he was born and raised here in Canada, he now lives in the UK with his mum. Since the age of almost five, um, he was four, uh, but close to his five, fifth birthday. And yeah, it's, it's not easy. Um, and actually, I was reminiscing yesterday about when he at a particular time I dropped him off. And I think he was what well, he would have been five. And I remember how hard it was for him, me leaving him in the UK when I flew him back from a summer visit. And I've lost so much time with him as a young boy. And so as much as this podcast is about being positive and, you know, it can be a really good experience. And ultimately, we're really close and well bonded. I have missed out on so much time with him. Um, and I'm aware of that. Um, and I, that's just something sometimes, some days I have to sit with that. 
um, and just let it be what it is. Uh, but I, yeah, I can't ignore it. And those feelings do come up. Um, and it's more in the sense of, you know, just reflecting and having a moment and being, you know, quiet with it. Uh, but the last thing I want to do when I feel like that is look at pictures. I think that probably would make me a little upset. Um, so yeah, I'm, this podcast keeps me going in the sense of a reminder to me that it is possible to do it, um, that we can stay positive about it and we can overcome and long term, I'm his dad, we're still connected, we talk regularly, but right now I'm in a six month stretch of not seeing him. So he'll be here in July again. Uh, so that's six months. That's another six months of his young, you know, when he's changing a lot, um, his young life and you can't really... You can connect well on FaceTime, but you can't see them growing. You don't see them, you know, how tall they're getting and how, you know, how they're kind of spreading out a little bit, you know, and it's hard. It's really hard. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the thing that's come up for me this week. Um, so that being said, this episode today, I really like it. Um, the guy, Kurt, that I'm talking to, um, he does men's work. He is a dad of three kids um, and he's very honest about his experience as a dad, which has not always been easy. So we talk today about transitioning into being dads and our experiences with having babies and how those first uh, days, weeks, months, how they felt um, and how easy or not it was for us. And it wasn't easy for either of us. And I really appreciate Kurt being very open and honest and allowing me space, and I don't always share, um, you know, the real hardships that I've had, because I want to focus on the positives, but it hasn't always been easy, and this was a great conversation, um, and a chance for me to share, um, because so much of what Kurt was sharing with me really resonated, um, and so, it, you know, it sort of gave me an opportunity to, yeah, to bounce back and forth those feelings that we were both having in those early stages of fathering. So huge shout out to Kurt. He does some great work. Um, I have put in the show notes um, his, and I will make sure, and I think we mentioned it too during the podcast, but yeah, make sure that you know his website and how to find him. Because um, I, yeah, I highly recommend following him, following him on Instagram. It's dad.work. Um, and I think he's going to repeat that. And also, like I say, check out the show notes. And my Instagram page, I'll of course be tagging him um, and sharing some sound bites from this podcast. Um, so yeah, so please enjoy Kurt. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing more of my experiences as we get closer to the birth. And of course, having a new baby again for the third time. Um, and honestly, I've forgotten everything that happened the last time and the time before. I don't know why that is. Maybe that's nature's way so that we, we don't, we have more kids, I guess. Um, anyway, um, without further ado, over to Kurt. And as ever, please enjoy. No, no, all good. Good to see you, buddy. How's things? Um, overall, excellent. Yeah, like, really good. I'm not, I'm not in a fear mode. I'm not in an upset mode. I'm just like super confident with the way things are going. So that is good. We're on spring break. Tomorrow's our 10 year anniversary. Oh, so wow. things are good, man. Cool. 10 year anniversary of marriage or being together marriage how long have you guys been together uh just about 12 years oh yeah yeah two years but yeah that was the same as us about two years together before yeah. marriage yeah you can do anything big 
Uh, no, man. <laughs> You're not going to ditch got, the kids and we, head off oh, into the sunset? There's nowhere, to, nobody to ditch the kids with, man. That's uh, mm. one of the things we wanted to do was maybe go out to the island, but things with the extended family have um, negatively been impacted over the last couple of weeks or the last right. couple of months. So we're just going to make the most of it with uh, each other, yeah. spend a little time together, probably go to the woods and do a bit of a, just a small ceremony, like um, renewing a vows almost to each other with the kids around. Yeah. And then we'll just spend the day together. That's cool. I like that. I like the renewing the vows together with the kids. That's yeah. a cool, that's a cool idea. Um, well, thanks for jumping in again. I have no, I have no shame. I'm just going to throw it out to the listeners that, yeah, I screwed up. I lost three recordings of dads and I'm re-recording two and yeah, we'll see if the, we'll see if the, if the third notices uh, that his doesn't go out, but yeah, I feel bad, but it's just like, you know what, this is the downside of my parenting with a kid overseas and going to extra efforts. The GoPro, when I take footage, it uses up so much space on the computer. So I'm, so I'm moving files around. Anyway, I think I've got my system now, external hard drive for the GoPro videos. And then everything else is on my computer safely. Plus the Dropbox. So everything gets backed up, but yeah, it's one of those things. Um, so thanks for coming on again. It's great to see you. Um, so let's jump straight in. And if you could introduce like, where are you in the world? Who is your family? Um, yeah, just sort of set us up. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me back on. And it's no worries that it happens to all of us. And I know it's happened to me before. So uh, yeah, I'm just excited to continue to, it's an excuse to build the relationship again, honestly, just to dive deeper. So uh, yeah, name is Kurt Storing, as I'm sure you can see in the title of this podcast. And um, I have been married for 10 years tomorrow, as we record this. And I have a nine, seven and two year old boys. And I am just outside of Vancouver on the west coast of Canada, <clears throat> pardon me, and I am currently building a community of dads who are doing their work together to become better men, partners, and fathers through men's work, community, mindfulness, all these kind of things that I have used to go from like just miserable, <laughs> terrible father, terrible husband, uh, to really confident, calm content, like just a really, really wonderful life now. So I'm, I'm trying to share that and facilitate community where men can do that together. Cause that's where the most impactful pieces of my journey happened is in a group of other men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. It's something that I'm very aware, aware of. I didn't say I meant, I almost said wary of, um, although I guess in a way being very male, of course, like, you know, traditional coming from a very traditional upbringing, the idea of doing men's group work and being in a group, I'm much more open to it now. And now it's more of a time thing because I've got some of my own projects going on. But I can now see when I have space um, is diving in. And actually, one of the listeners who listens right on a regular basis, I was talking to him at the ski hill. Um, and yeah, I was surprised. It was cool, actually. I didn't realize he was into reaching out and doing men's groups and men's work. So it's nice to be having conversations like that around me now where people are opening up more, partly because they listen to the podcast. So when we have conversations in person, it's much more, we're tapping much more into that, into our kind of own work as dads and as men. Um, so I'm interested then. What, so you're given the reasons as to why you want to do it. You want to support other dads and kind of what you learned. So what was the transition for you like going into fatherhood? 
Like what, you know, what were the challenges for you? Everything, literally everything. It was, it was very difficult. We had just moved from Calgary, about a thousand kilometers away to Vancouver. And we, my wife and I, that is both quit our jobs. We, I decided I was going to start a business, not get another job, uh, which is obviously the responsible thing to do when you're about to have a kid. And, um, you know, we just like, our lives were completely different and we moved back to be closer to, um, my mother, my grandparents, my, pardon me, my wife's family. And, um, you know, we, we came out here looking for support, but we also left behind the life that we had started to build. Uh, outside of university, getting jobs and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And our friends who we, we had throughout university, we went like, okay, we're just going to trade this in for family because surely that's more important as we have kids. And when we did all that, A, it was completely chaotic. And B, like we were, I was 23, I think she's 24. And man, we were not ready for anything like anything at all. We had no idea what was going on, had no idea there was a thing like, you know, trauma or wounds or self-development or healing or growth or any of that kind of stuff. And so when my first son was born, it was like, I didn't really feel anything. And I was scared. I was like, oh, people told me this was supposed to be like the best day of my life. And I literally feel nothing. And that's weird. And so as we continued on, it was wonderful. I was very pleased with it in a sense, but I was finding myself becoming more and more irritable. And that looked like even erupting into yelling and being mean and being scary and shaming. And I would do that to my son as he became a little bit older, started walking around, you know, one, two years old coming in my office. I just blow up at him. Like, can't you say I'm working? Like, shouldn't you know better? And it's like, no, obviously doesn't. Um, But I was like being reflected back at myself from him all of my worst qualities. And I really didn't like seeing that in myself. And so without any tools or practices, I just took it out on him and my wife. So it was, it was really hard. I hated who I was at that time. And I was kind of angry thinking that my, I almost blamed my son for it, even though it was completely my fault. So it was a very rough and rocky transition. And yet in all of that, it finally got me thinking like, isn't there another way? Like, is this just how it is? Is Am I going to hate life forever now as a father? And as much as I was suffering, it at least pointed me in the direction of, I have to do something different and I have to get better because something, and I have no idea what at this time, something is really out of alignment. So it was, it felt like a curse to be honest, even though it was um, you know, generally a good thing. I was happy to have a child, especially a son. and was very worried about passing the family name on because I'm the last, you know, male storing and, you know, got that all the sort of classic external things, but internally it was like, man, it was, it was terrible. Wow. Yeah. Actually, as you say that it resonates with me, I think for me, I was feeling maybe not so much the anger, but death frustration and kind of lost I kind of like maybe angry at myself for getting myself in a situation that maybe I wasn't sure I wanted to be in, which was having, it's not, it's not, it wasn't being a dad necessarily, but just everything else that came with it. Like having to have a stable job, having to have, you know, the home, just the, all the pressure of it and not wanting to be that my, I got great parents, but I didn't want to be the dad that my dad was because very traditional and very much focused on being the breadwinner and 
yeah i don't know i just there wasn't i didn't want to emulate what you know my upbringing and i think with that i was kind of feeling that kind of frustration and wasn't sure like who the hell am i now and i didn't feel you're right what you just said about not you didn't really feel much initially you know when the baby comes out i 100 percent. you know i don't know if i've said that out loud yet but i didn't i didn't feel it and it came like I really remember, well, around sort of eight months when he was crawling, there was a couple of moments where I just felt the warmth of, you know, that situation and being a dad. And then 16 months when he kind of referred to me, I don't know if he called me dad, but I really remember 16 months. I was like, oh, this is it. I'm in. Like, I felt like I had a purpose. He was leaning to me and I was like, oh yeah, you lean to me. I'm hundred percent there for you. Like no problem. Right. And that was when it sort of shifted for me, but yeah, but it took me a while. I was kind of lost just trying to like figure it out. Like what, what is a dad? Who am I meant to be in this modern world? I'm like, am I meant to be nine to five? Cause that's not what I want. Um, I'd had a great lifestyle up till then. And I was being sort of torn away. Um, what do you think for you? Like that anger and stuff, have you figured out like, where was that coming from? Was it your, from your upbringing? Like was there some buried stuff where you were just young and just like, holy shit. Uh, yeah, a little bit of everything. And firstly, thanks for sharing that because it's one of those taboo things that we're not supposed to talk about. And that's one of the things I love about men's group is that we set a safe container where we can do that kind of work. So <clears throat> talking about this is, you know, unusual. And so first of all, thank you, as I said, but also um, I feel like it's good for other men to hear that because like, yeah, some guys, it is the best day of their lives and that's fantastic, but some guys it's not. And sometimes we have to admit to ourselves that like there's stuff about being a dad that is like, it sucks. You know, like there's so much weight. There's so many expectations. And yet I've never seen a dad, at least in my orbit, who has crumbled under that weight, no matter how hard it is. So that's one of the things that I see in fathers is just that like immense burden and struggle, but that lovingly noble pursuit of continuing on regardless. Um, so I feel seen the fact that you also experienced that. And I remember eight months being something, uh, a little trigger as well for me. There's maybe, a, I don't know what there is there, synchronicity, but um, my anger was as I look back on it now, I've done a lot, a lot of work on this. It was manifesting because of a lack of control, as well as some unhealed abandonment wounds from my own father divorcing my mother when I was three. And then my mother getting sick and being sort of absent for, you know, a decade more or less uh, in my adolescence. And I deeply feared this abandonment. And you might be going like, oh, well, you got a kid now. Like, isn't that great? That's anti-abandonment. Where's this anger coming from? But a couple of things came to me. One is that from that, I decided that perfectionism was like going to be my game. If I could just be good enough, maybe people wouldn't leave me. So I like went out of my way to appear completely perfect. Like I couldn't fail. I had to be like, you know, neatly dressed, hair had to be perfect every day, had to look on the outside. Like I had it all together. Cause like maybe then people wouldn't leave me. Maybe if I was just good enough, my dad wouldn't have left. You know, that's the story. And when you have a kid that comes in your life, the control that you need to be a perfectionist gets thrown out the window. Like I can't be perfect when I'm up all hours of the night. I can't get my morning routine in when I'm up at four in the morning and the baby's awake. I can't do any of these things that make me seem and feel and look perfect and therefore safe. And so like suddenly I feel naked. I feel like 
open to the world. Anything can happen. If I'm not perfect, nobody's going to like me and I'm not perfect right now. Therefore, nobody must like me. And so it just like this shame spiral started. And I think another piece of it, I haven't explored this fully, but I've been thinking about it recently is I wonder if it's harder for parents to give to their children that which they never received. And so when my, you know, two-year-old son was looking to me for support, looking to me to hold space for his, you know, large emotions, if you will, his outbursts, his anger, his sadness, I looked at him and subconsciously very well could have been like, bro, nobody was there for me when I did this. Like, what makes you think I'm going to help you? Like, I don't know what this looks like when you're too and sad and crying and yeah, like nobody cares. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know what that feels like because I never got it. So uh, yeah, it was this lack of control, this perfectionism coming crumbling down and just feeling like I didn't even know what my life was anymore. Like just complete overwhelm all the time. No tools, no friends. I took everything that I used to know, threw it away. And yeah, then, you know, also as a new husband, like we had been married for just under a year when our first son was born and trying to deal with, you know, the postpartum period with my wife and her having, you know, quit a job that she really liked and moved away from friends, holding her and the new son and myself. It was way, way too heavy for me who didn't even know there was such a thing as like healing and self-development. It was just like, wow, you're supposed to do all this. Good luck. And then you can't. And then you like, at least for me, my internal chatter was like, oh, you're, you're a loser. You can't handle all this. You must be a loser because nobody told you me it was hard. Nobody told me I didn't have to do everything. So man, there, there's so much to that anger. And I think that's probably the, the long and short of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Again, it resonates in the sense of, um, at the, my first boy, my, um, ex-wife and I don't say too much about her because it's not you know that's not why I'm doing the podcast is to throw her under the bus or anything but she had moved away from the UK I, I was already very well settled here so she had left her friends and family behind and the job that she had loved and yeah so that again same thing pressures on me um so yeah having to show up in all those ways again yeah it's so it's just heavy it's a heavy weight and when, you know what I did too, I don't know about you, but I sort of disconnected from my community of friends because at the time they weren't dads necessarily. And I didn't really know how to talk to anyone about it. And I didn't know what, you know, I didn't want to say about it. I was just, I, yeah, I didn't know what to say. And so for me, it was just, just trying to survive day to day without taking care of me and my emotions and my needs. Cause I felt like, well, I'm the one that just has to carry all this and be the leader. Um, because, you know, childbirth, postpartum, not necessarily depression, but just, you know, that's the stages of postpartum. You know, it's a full-on process to go through for the mum. So I'm just trying to hold everything. And yeah, it's, it's a lot. So for you, did you have like, what did your support group eventually look like? Like, were there people that you could reach out to? How did you build that network? Or is this years later? Like what, what did that look like? Literally years later, like I had nothing. One of my biggest, uh, one of the things I'm working on most is how to build intentional community and make friends and keep friends. Because 
throughout my life, I moved around like every two years or so and never out of school for more than two years growing up. And so I never had any like legacy friends, if you will. It's not like I have anyone that I went to like grade six with and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, we go way back. We don't get along that well, but you know, we got history, not even from high school because I changed high schools, not even from university because I did, you know, three different stints at two different universities. Um, and so like there was nothing and in Calgary, where we lived before, we had friends who were a bit older and they were having kids. And that's one of the reasons why we were like, okay, now is the time we know people. And, you know, being like 23, apparently just didn't think to stay around and get the support of those friends. Cause it's like, oh, family, everyone says family, let's go back and do family. And so we moved there knowing no one, like literally no one. And didn't know how to make friends, wasn't working a normal job, was working like 14 to 16 hour days in this basement suite that we lived in. And so basically was never going out. And so, you know, we, my mother was able to come and the relationship was very rocky to begin with. And we've thankfully smoothed it out a lot, like a lot, a lot, which is wonderful. Um, but, you know, I couldn't really, didn't really feel great with that. Um, you know, my, wife's parents, uh, you know, were, were around, but I think in terms of like emotional support, we didn't really jive all that well. My grandparents were there, but you know, we, we, again, it wasn't like, there's nothing that was really close and enriching and nourishing and like friends and people being like, Oh, let me just help. Like, Hey, this is hard. Let me help. It was all like us going, well, I guess we just don't get any help. That that's cool, I guess. Um, and how am I going to make friends in this chaotic terrible time of my life. Well, clearly I'm not. And so, man, it went on for like years like that. And it wasn't until, oh man, maybe when we moved to Thailand and I started playing hockey, which is another ridiculous story. Um, so Canadian, but started playing hockey with these guys in Thailand. And it was like, oh, like, I don't know what it is, but we're kind of friends now. This feels cool. And so I came back here and started playing hockey here. And then I found this men's group. And in the men's group, that's where like that's where things really came together. And I'm still working on how to make that even better for myself because I'm coming at it from like, I don't even know what a friend is. Like, could you explain that to me? And now like having opened up, having let men into my life, having been supported by them. I even told my group a few months ago, like, guys, I know I'm like, I'm co-leading this group. And I'm like, guys, I don't know if you have my back. And it was like, oof, that's not something you're supposed to say in a men's group because like, you know, everyone's got your back. And so part of this for me is that I'm still going through this journey nine years later. And so I don't have all the answers on this and I never really had a great support group. What I have found is as I went to my group with that, um, first of all, I took ownership for it. I was like, look, I haven't been letting you guys in because I'm scared and I don't know what to do. I've never had friends before. So like, I'm doing my best, but could you please help me more? And what that looked like was I had been reflected in that meeting that coming back to perfectionism, again, even though I thought I'd gone so far past that, it would, the, the feedback was, well, you look like you got everything together. Like, what can I offer you as a friend? And so that's, I think, what I was trying to get away from in my early fatherhood. Like, I couldn't admit that I was struggling. Even if there was someone around, I would never have been able to be like, oh, this is really hard. I would have just been like, oh no, everything's good. I'm good. Like, we're just moving on. We got to be tough. Don't worry about it. So, I mean, like I, I wouldn't even have known what to do with support if I had it. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I, I, yeah, a lot of, again, a lot of similarities, you know, because I don't have 
friends from grade six or whenever from school uh moving around too much over the years friends here still have yeah it's that thing of not really knowing like everything's fine like not really knowing and if people you know what i find though with people with kids and a good friend of mine who is who comes every year skiing from um the uk he says to me you know i just with when i know friends that have kids i stop calling them he's like i know i sh- i know i should but i just don't think they have the time for me and this is the first year in quite a few years that i've made time to go skiing more than i ever have uh since being a dad and just yeah i'm carving that time out um and it's been so good to reconnect with those friends that i used to know who probably just kind of thought i was just too busy to be honest and they don't think to reach out because i'm always saying yeah so i'm I put it out there to anybody that knows a dad, like reach out. Like they may be busy, but they may also really appreciate a text or a call. I mean, a text is the easy way to do that, but you know, much better to actually make the effort to meet up. But yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How you kind of, that's what I felt. I just felt disconnected from friends and they didn't really know how to reach out and help. And then especially when you go through a divorce or separation, same thing, really. You're like, where is everybody? But they're like, oh, he's, he's busy he's being a dad he's got his focus it's really great we really admire him one friend said that and i'm like yeah that's great like do you want to kind of like go, go for a beer or ask me how i'm doing sometime um so that being said what are some of the coping strategies that you found like what did you lean into like did you find like was there exercise are you a journaler did you get into meditation um it sounds like you had a big shift that you needed maybe to actually go over to thailand so did that open up you know anything for you over there yeah the the first coping mechanism i had was yelling and that was a bad coping mechanism um so (laughs) would not recommend but the thing that really did it for me was completely unintentional actually i had been following along with this business guy i don't know like guru whatever coach and he's got this website and he's teaching you how to run this business. And I was following along and it was working. And I was like, sweet. I, I really love this guy. And one of the things he said on like a blog post, and I think it was like, I don't know, 2012, 2013, maybe 2014. And he's like, I've been meditating and it's making me more productive. And it's like, oh, sweet productivity. Like sign me up business. Go, go, go. And so I started meditating on the Headspace app thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a way better businessman. I'm going to make so much more money. And after 10 days, I caught myself before I actually yelled at my oldest son at a time that I normally would have. I would have just lost my shit, gone off the rails and just yelled. And this time I stopped and I breathed and I noticed and I was like, what? You could like, you can stop this. I had no idea you could even stop yelling. And here that I was completely randomly like, oh man, there's something here. So what is this? And I, that was literally the first time I'd ever seen any improvement other than simply being a little bit, you know, self-reflective and like, why do I feel so bad all the time, but never really knowing there were any ways to get out of it. So this was the thing for me that like kicked me down this path and I didn't let go. So I kept meditating and I kept reading and I learned more about it. I learned about consciousness and I learned about like all this kind of stuff that went along with it and yes eventually started journaling continually to this day meditate and journal almost every day um so those were like the two biggest crutches I would say and I say crutches because I think there's two sides to this sort of journey and healing there's one no longer acting like a piece of shit for me at least and there's two 
figuring out why you were acting like that in the first place and healing it so it doesn't come up when you're triggered. And so for me, it was like, hey, meditate, journal. Uh, as we went to Thailand, I like to say we packed, you know, 20 years of marriage and parenting into two years. And we learned so much just by like trial by fire. So we were there, we had this, you know, completely different life, didn't know anything. And it was just like chaos after chaos, but we kept coming through. So I, you know, exercise always been huge. Like every morning I got to get the exercise in. And then it was just trying everything. So like every style of meditation possible, every style of journaling possible, like tapping, breath work, massage, yoga, like all these weird kind of modalities. And I mean, weird only insofar as like I went to the extremes of every single one of them to find what worked for me. Um, the things that I come back to over and over, meditation, journaling, and breath work. And breath work could simply be Wim Hof in the morning. It could be three deep breaths when you're stressed or when you're like triggered, when your kids are screaming. One deep breath is good enough. Or it could be as much as like a one to two hour breath work session with conscious connected breathing. So there's everything like that. Um, those are sort of the three most usual tools. And, um, and then just generally like self-reflection. I started asking like, oh, why? So, oh, this is happening, but why? So that was really useful to actually bring my wife in because she's very perceptive and intuitive. We had these conversations back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, I leaned on those heavily as well as figuring out, and this is just like the last point in terms of the, the crutch, if you will, um, how to actually parent. You know, like nobody told me, I, I had no idea. And like you were saying before, I didn't want to be the parents that I had, which isn't to say that they didn't love me because they obviously did. Um, but I wanted to be more aware and intentional about that because obviously as the child of that, I was like, you know, perceived trauma. There's slights that you feel uh, when you're parented. And I think every single person in the world probably feels that. But I had to learn like what to even do in the absence of knowing literally anything about parenting because I had never seen it done well, let's say. And so the thing that I found was called uh, RIE Parenting, R-I-E. I think it's Resources for Infant Educators. Strange sort of name, but there's a blog by Janet Lansbury. <clears throat> I think it's just janetlansbury.com. And I one day Googled out of desperation, like how to stop your four-year-old from eating, because this was what our reality was in Thailand. He was just going crazy. And of course we took him out of his, you know, his, his regular life and dropped him into Thailand, but he's hitting. And so I Googled this at the wits end and I just went like, oh my goodness, it was all about empathy and like validation and affirmation and understanding that kids are not giving you, kids are not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And the fact that there's no bad yeah. kids, there's just reactions to how they're feeling. And this was like the biggest crutch for me in parenting um, that just allowed me the space to do my deeper inner work. So I think if you can find these things that prop you up, that allow you to not be triggered quite so often and not fly off the handle quite so often, that frees up the time and the mental energy and the space to do the real work, which is figuring out and healing why you are like this in the first place. And at least that's how it worked for me. Yeah, 100%. So for you, when we talk about meditation, breath work, um, I forgot the other one. Was journaling. It journaling. So when it comes to you having an interaction with your kid, is it the breath work that like deep breath in, however that looks, is that what helps pause for you to be able to maybe step back and I want to say more rationally kind of basically not shout because you've, you're just kind of pausing. Is that the breath work in the moment that you can do? 
Yeah. So I like to separate in the moment and sort of practicing. And the reason that you do these things every day is because you have to practice the skill much like, you know, the, I don't know, NFL Super Bowl champion. I don't even know. I'm picking a sport NFL Super Bowl champion. They don't just like go on the field and like win a Super Bowl. They practice like 10 times more than they play. And so as a person, as a father, especially, we ought to be practicing at least 10 times more than we play. And the play is when things are rough, when you are triggered. And so when you practice, when you're not triggered, you build up this ability to do it, basically, to observe your thoughts, to observe your body, to notice way before the anger's at a level 10, because you've actually felt into your body by breathing and noticing the sensations, by doing a body scan and meditation every morning, you get to be like, Oh, that's what my body feels like. And so when the anger is rising, because it's typically a crescendo, I mean, sometimes it's like a 10 out of 10 right away, but you can almost feel it coming earlier and stop yourself by then, like you say, breathing or something like that. But yes, in the moment, um, sometimes even walking away or taking a deep breath, or what you can do is like, say how you feel. Cause like they say, uh, you know, name it to tame it. So you say, like I say to my son, like, I am feeling really angry right now. And even just saying that and acknowledging it and even doing the same for him, like, hey, I, I see you're feeling really anxious. I see you, you want, it seems like you want some attention right now. And then just like giving yourself the little bit of like even the word break between how you're feeling and what's happening in the world before you react. Um, you can even feel your feet on the bottom of the ground. I learned this great two-point meditation from... Um, a man that I'm actually in another man's group with called Justin Ehrlich. He's a Chinese medicine practitioner. And he's like, if you breathe into the belly and then you feel the feet on the ground and then you bring them together, there's like almost no space in your mind for anything else. And so that two point awareness has really helped me in like serious triggering. Um, and yeah, man. So, and then when you, when you can't do it, repair, like you, apologize. I try and make sure my rupture to repair ratio is one-to-one. -one. Um, you know, I just, you got to like swallow the pride and swallow the ego. I think like even today it's, it's much better, but a lot of guys still are like, well, I can't apologize. You know, like that's going to ruin my power dynamic in the home. Um, or they're so shamed at their own behavior that they'd rather just sweep it under the rug. And so when all of those things don't work and you still blow up, um, I think, and I have been told by a play therapist we were working with that when you repair the, the wound doesn't actually become a trauma because a child is no longer alone thinking that they are the one who caused it, internalizing that shame. So you can actually reverse the creation of a trauma or a wound by apologizing for it. I think that's very powerful. So I don't want to give the sense that like you got to be perfect, but there is 100% a way to fix it if you're not. So that just, it should cover everything that you come across, um, but you do have to practice. Yeah. I think you're right. I think I really do agree with the last thing you were saying and, you know, the other, other things as well, but particularly, yeah, the saying, sorry, saying, sorry, explaining, like I was feeling this, this is how you responded. You know, I'm trying to get this thing done and I'm frustrated because I've got to leave the house and now I'm late and blah, 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 whatever it might be. Um, I'll share a couple of little thoughts of things that just come up with my three-year-old. Um, he came up this morning and it was pretty cute. Uh, he's, he kind of comes into the bed and, um, and he says to me, I've got a problem, Dada, I've got a problem. Um, and he kind of sort of sits kind of like a little, little man, kind of sits like 
very seriously next to me um, as I'm still lying down in bed. Mum had got up earlier than me this morning. And he says, yeah, um, I threw a toy at mummy's head. Uh, the one with the black wheels because she turned off the tractor show. I wanted to watch the, another tractor show or something like that. And um, it was, so I think it's him not being able to regulate his emotions, reacting to the fact that this thing is being shut off from him. So he's like just lashing out. But we do talk to him a lot. So then I could talk to him about like, well, that's, you know, that we need to go downstairs and talk to mom because, you know, that's not the right thing to do and da, 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 da. But it was just really nice that he would actually, he was acknowledging what he'd done by his own admission. Like I didn't ask him anything. I had no idea something had gone on. But just the fact that he could address that, um, I just, it was more cute. It wasn't like some kind of incredible parenting moment, but just the fact that he feels that he can talk to us about how he's feeling is good. Um, and the other thing I've been doing, and it's not breath work, so yeah, breath work, I still haven't dived into it. We've talked about it before, just haven't had the time, the capacity, but just the simplicity of just taking a deep breath in through the nose, holding it, and then breathing out through the mouth three times. I get my boys to do that, both of them, but the littlest, um, we were wrestling on the bed yesterday and I could feel he was going to crack and melt down. And I don't, I'm not the best at responding to him melting down. Like that's where I like, you know, it's like nails down a chalkboard for any parent, but sometimes I just get frustrated. And so I try to catch it. I always try and dodge that. So I said to him, look, I can see you're going to, I said, let's go downstairs, have dinner. No, don't want to want to wrestle. Okay. We can keep wrestling, but, and I could just see it. I'm like, he's on the edge. He's tired. He's been in daycare for the day. And um, so I said, right, we can, but you need to lie next to me. We need to do the breath work. I didn't call it breath work, but we need to, we need to do some breathing. So do the three breaths in and then he does it really fast. I'm like, no, 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 we need to do it slow. He's like, oh no, I know, I know this. So he's like really slow in the nose, holds it in his chest and then releases. And three times, it's amazing how, what a difference that makes. He's just calmed himself right down again. Um, other ones I do is, okay, water break. I can see him again, the energy's building. So he'll just stop, pause, water break. It's another way of just pausing. And then the other one is just snuggle, snuggle break. It's like, okay, we're getting a bit elevated. Let's just have a little snuggle for a minute. But just those little things are just pausing and taking a moment. And the breath work, I love for that. And I'm, I know it's something I will explore when I have more time because time, you know, you know what it's like with kids. We have a third on the way. So we have another one in May. So yeah, time, time is precious right now. Um, and I'm really excited about that. So let's talk about the three kids because that's going to push me. That's going to push anyone. It's going to push mom. It's going to push uh, the other boys that are already here with us. Um, how do you juggle three kids? Like if you had to give me some sort of, I don't know, th maybe three learning points that you have for, th for three kids or, and you can take a moment. <laughs> I can edit, I can edit out any pauses. Oh man. Um, uh, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like how, like we've got a baby, we've got a three-year-old who'll be, yeah, he's three, three and a half soon. And then we got an eight and a half year old and trying to manage time where we're getting to spend time with each other, with the family, like, is it just going to be chaos initially for a little bit? Or is there ways that you figured out to get some balance? Man, this is so interesting. And um, I just want to make sure I say like, so awesome to hear what you do with the breath work and like with the cuddle breaks and the water break. So good. An intentional time like that 
incredibly important. So like, don't gloss over that if you're listening, because that's like super dad. Um, oh, man, there, there's no answer for this, to be quite honest. The only thing I can say is that I am at a point in my journey where the birth of my youngest was nothing like the birth of the first two. And what I mean by that is like, I have all the time in the world to listen to him cry because I know that he's just communicating and like, oh yeah, I'm just going to validate you, man. Like, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm here for you. I hear you probably want to eat. Mommy can't be here right now. Like, let me just, I'm just going to hold you. Okay. And just like talking softly and talking slowly and that like everything was so easy with this one because I sort of got it. I knew what he needed. Um, I knew that actually, this is funny. I, I, I wish I could find the source for this and I keep looking, I can't find it, but I read somewhere that someone said newborns, uh, are almost, uh, experienced the experiencing the world as if they're on like DMT. And I was like, Ooh, how would I want to be treated if I was tripping balls the whole time? And it's like, okay, gentle, soft and slow and gentle and sort of getting that with the other kids too. And using the new kid as a way to build that energy with the other ones to be like, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to do this really right. Probably going to be triggered from the other two, but like, let's try and build this from the ground up. And I think that we just like rolled with it, to be honest, because uh, the older ones are what, seven and five years older than the youngest. And so that's old enough in our case, at least where we could start to like you know, say we're going to have to do things a little bit different here. And you guys like kind of get it. You kind of get why. Um, but I think one of the things that we're, it's not like we did this right, but what we're struggling with right now actually is like the, the middle son, how is he responding to no longer being the baby? Because he was the baby for five years and he was treated that way. And he loved that role. And his older brother talked a lot. He just got to be like the little one. And so now there's this actual baby and then there's the older brother who talks a lot. And then there's like the middle one. And that is an ongoing struggle with how we give that time to him. And I, I, this might seem like a cop-out answer. I'm like, I'm trying to buy time, but I, I just don't even know, man. Like these are just some things that are real for me. And I think that if you're just present to it, like there's no trick, there's no magic. It's just like, it's going to be harder because there's three of them and two of you. Um, and you know, that's, that's always a, a struggle. But I think that this is where one-on-one -on -one time becomes like even more important. And that's including like with your wife, with each child and with your wife, even if it's like 10 minutes after work, okay, we're going to wrestle for 10 minutes. <clears throat> we're going to wrestle for 10 minutes. Um, you know, mom and I are going to have a 15 minute chat. We're going to like, I'm going to rub her shoulders for 15 minutes. And then that way it's like everyone at least gets a one-on-one -on -one touch point with you. And it's not like four weeks that go by and you're like, oh, I should really spend time with the kids. And that's been hard. Like, quite honestly, that's not something we're even good at yet. But we're trying our best because we can see the results uh, when we do do that. So it, it just what takes does, more intentionality. What does quality time look like now that you have three kids for you as a couple? Um, in the relationship. Yeah. Like usually you're sitting on the couch in the evening and just chatting for 10, 15 minutes. You watching Netflix. Do you play board games together do you get time physically outside maybe a walk down by the water or right. anything like that yeah so we um much like having friends we still have not done a great great job of doing this um in terms of like what would traditionally be considered time alone 
And as I say that, I, I realize I'm sort of hedging my bets because I'm, I'm worried that someone's going to judge me. And that's interesting to note. So this is sort of like real-time uh, development. Uh, but what we do is we are just constantly talking to each other. And so I work from home. I have my own business. And so I will go up for lunch. And then we'll just talk. And the kids will usually be playing or maybe I'll like check in with them a little bit, but like, I will always talk to my wife. And then at the end of the day, I'll come up, she'll be making dinner and then we'll talk and then I'll talk to the kids and we'll sort of have these breaks throughout the day. And then when the kids are in bed, I make sure that we've got a really good bedtime routine. So there is no, there's almost no chance of them going to sleep past like nine. There's almost no chance of them waking up from bed and asking for something. These are like very important boundaries that we set early and it took a lot of work, but now we've got that sort of like eight to 10 o'clock period for ourselves. And we just talk. And usually that's like all it is without getting into more details. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But um, we also will take small amounts of time when we can to be either with one of the kids or two of the kids. If we have a grandparent who's available to take one or two or sometimes three. Um, like for example, we went out to pick up dinner last night and I said, okay, who wants to come with me? And my, my mom was over and my wife said, oh, I do. And it was just, you know, kind of a joke. And so I was like, oh, you like you could actually come because my my mom is here. And so we did. We took 15, 20 minutes and we just drove and got some food and came back. And so it's like you have to just make it work where it works. And the fact that like we go outside with the kids a lot makes it a lot easier too, because they just play with by themselves. You know, like they're running ahead. They're they're literally like in the woods making spears with their knives and their sticks. And then like, I'll just get to chat with my wife. Like it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So it really depends on how you are structured in your family as well, because I feel I could have, you know, 24 hours a day with her. And at least for the first while, I'll be like very pleased, um, happy with that because I'm starved for her attention because I can't get enough of it. Cause we do really love each other. And at the same time, like I'm not dying for that because I do feel really, um, nourished with the amount and the depth of time we spend together. And it's simply a matter of like, we don't watch TV ever. We oh, like, we that, don't that's like, huge. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The kids will watch Disney once in a while. They'll watch bluey or they'll watch like a, a Disney movie, but we don't watch like TV shows. Um, we read, we like to talk about what we're reading. Uh, we have friends over for dinner. Actually, that's one of the, the friend things I should have talked about earlier, but we do things that are like social together and just share and so it ends up being this, like, I feel like I've been having a 10 year conversation with her and it's just getting better and better. So, you know, no magic tricks, no like magic babysitting formulas. It's just like, make the time when you can get it and don't be checking your phone during these times. Don't be checking out on like Netflix. Don't be doing these things because otherwise then it gets way harder and you're like, oh, I don't have any time. Well, of course you don't, <laughs> you got, yeah. you got to make it. That's a really good point. I think if you're staring at your phone and watching, and we do, we go through phases of, uh, we're watching one episode of a show each evening, often through the winter, but then we'd also, you know, stop it and check in and would have a good chat before. So we're with you, I'm with you on the boundaries with bedtime, hundred percent. He's down by seven, seven thirty. even my eight and a half year old, similar kind of time because they're busy outside all day. And even if they're just quiet in the bed, and they don't actually fall asleep until eight, they're still in their rooms, chill, and they're happy, and it's not an issue. And that does give us a chunk of time. But if you don't get that chunk of time, yeah, if you're staring at the phone, Facebook, Instagram, and we don't, I get, I have a weakness with Instagram. I go through phases because I'm posting things. 
but otherwise we're not really those people actually and it helps a lot because i think you're right we don't get as much time in the day to go off for the whole day or anything um so it's conversations regularly throughout the day which is great like actually paying attention to each other asking the right questions too like being mindful of like how was your day at work tell me about work tell me about this that and actually having an interest in each other's lives i think is important not just sort of just you know light chit chat like we like to get in with a bit of depth um the one thing i would say though that we try we don't get enough of this and of course mum is pregnant right now but um is going and doing an activity together because so for us if we go to the ski hill for a day or we go we had a really great day half a day really felt like a day felt like a two weeks really but like because it was like this epic mountain adventure drove up the valley with our mountain bikes but two cars i drove up and then we biked down but there's stunning scenery and like we're getting exercise together and like even once a month doing something like that actually fills fills the cup but it's really great and so one thing we used to do too i'll just mention is that and this will come around again but is learning something together as well and we've done that a couple of times with different things one i took her climbing with ropes which is not something i do a lot because i have a different style of climbing that i like and that was really great and we talked about going dancing together um salsa dancing or something learning that together so it's just so that we're learning something together and so like our um we're getting that shot of um is it endorphins or dopamine or both but you know what i'm saying like totally. there's some there's something magic about learning something together and so yeah that'll come again though the fact that we just love spending time with our family as a whole is really important too and it sounds like you're the same with that with the boys right totally yeah like we'll, we'll also take any chance we can get to do something alone um it's been a little bit harder obviously lately with the uh, restrictions and whatnot. It's, you know, there, there's just less to do. Um, and people are less likely to want to do things like that, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like we're going, we've booked like, uh, at least three or four days every month for the last next, like six months to go camping as well. And so I know that like the kids will be down like fishing and they'll be playing on the beach. And so even that, like, it doesn't sound as exciting as like learning salsa, but honestly, like we do these things with that in Dude, mind. Dude, I'm a hundred percent with the camping and fishing. Like that's a big <laughs> one for us in the summer, yeah. actually. That's a bit, that's a huge one for us. There's just something about being in nature as a family and just being still. And yeah, we, yeah, that's a big one for us. That's probably the biggest activity that we do that we love is being in nature camping somewhere. We'll even camp in town here as a campsite. So yeah, no, we're a hundred percent on board with that one. Nice. Um, so I'm mindful of the time and largely because I've, I've got me with the boss at 3.30 ish. If I'm a few minutes late, it's fine. Um, but yeah, if you could, um, what would be the advice? Well, I mean, I'm not a young father starting out. I've got my third child coming. But if you could whisper in your ear at the beginning, before you had your first child, or if you're talking to a, a dad that was just starting out, what advice would you offer? I would say that you become a better father by becoming a better man. And what that means is looking inward mostly and figuring out who you are. So I think authenticity for me is number one, but you can't be authentically yourself until you are self-aware. And that means you have to know what you're feeling and how to express those feelings. So like I would tell myself that there exists a thing called healing, growth, self-development, what have you, and be like, dude, go do that. 
Like you don't even know what you don't know right now, but it's going to change your life. So become a healed, more integrated, more authentic man, and literally everything else will fall into place and you'll no longer need the crutches after a while. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah. Yeah. It's something I've only just started to realize that really being a dad is, is personal growth and your personal growth is your parenting because they're going to mirror everything that they see you do. And so shouting and being angry is not ideal. So if we work on ourselves and figure out the triggers, then ultimately we're going to be an awesome parent and good is good enough too. Yes. I know you mentioned the perfect thing, but yeah, it's, I think we all realize after you've been in, in it for a while that, um, yeah, good is good enough. And just yeah. knowing that we can keep growing and changing and working on who we are is ultimately, yeah, the best experience. And you could also have just said, join a men's group. Here's my address. <laughs> that would have worked well, too. Damn. Okay. Let's re-record that. And we'll cut it back in. <laughs> um, but no, let, let's do that as we just finish up here. Like I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, just um, give a quick spiel of the kind of stuff that you're offering. Like when is the men's group? When can people sign up? Where is your website and all that good stuff? Cool. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, everything is at dad.work. So instead of .com, it's dad.work. And that's the website. And we have weekly men's groups. We've got a wait list for our Thursday group. And we've got, I think, at this recording, two spots left in our Wednesday group. Uh, but on the last week of March, I don't know when this is coming out, but last week of March, we are releasing and launching the Village, which is an online training and brotherhood community. So we're going to be having member-led men's groups, an online forum, uh, expert-led workshops every month, monthly community calls, uh, access to my course, access to any more worksheets and workshops and everything like that that's going to come out. And it's basically a, an intentional online community to do the work that you and I have been talking about in this episode with other dads and be supported and seen and like even challenged if that's what you need. So uh, that's going to be launching soon at dad.work slash village, which I'm super excited about. And we also have a free monthly men's group call too on the last Friday of every month, dad.work slash free. And uh, yeah, anything else on the, on the website, dad.work. So thank yeah, you for, for the allowance yeah. of the shout out. <laughs> yeah, it. no worries. And are you going to be doing, and these are all online or are these going to be in person as well? Yeah. So everything is based online right now. And my intention is that as we grow the online village community, that we will eventually be able to organize the men's groups by location. So I envision you know, to start with probably 20 to 40 guys, but like over the years, I foresee this being literally like around the world and you should be able to meet, you know, three to 10 men in your city who you can meet with weekly or bi-weekly to do life together with this sort of online community as a backdrop to that. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for coming on the show and maybe we can do this again because there's yeah. always more stuff to talk about. Yeah. Just lose the uh, episode again, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no problem i'll get right on that <laughs> cool. all right thanks for having me on man i appreciate this thanks for listening and if you enjoyed the show please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better a review wherever you listen to your podcast please find us on facebook and instagram at dab without borders and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.